Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 119 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, February 13th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we chat with the developers behind Zelda 2's love letter, Infernax, which is covered in blood and an absolute blast releasing on multiple platforms. Answers have come out now regarding the future of Call of Duty exclusivity and a new game. And beyond that, somehow, Scalebound is back in the news for what seems to be the 512th time. All that and more in this episode of the Xbox Expansion Pass. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are headed to Xbox Gamer XG at Anubis316 on Twitter. Constantly a bright source in my timeline, asking questions of the show, directing me towards interviews he'd like to hear, uh, which gives me good cause to reach out to people. And it is just a pleasure to have him over on my timeline. So Xbox Gamer slash Anubis, I appreciate you so much. I hope you're having a fantastic week of games. Uh, and uh, cheers to you, mate. Mate? I don't know why I said mate. Oh, that's embarrassing. Well, this past week of gaming news brought back two reoccurring topics on every Xbox stream, Scalebound and Call of Duty, and my goodness, Scalebound is the game that just won't die at this point. Uh, A lot of things being said about it at various points over the last few years since its cancellation in 2017, Uh, and this week, most recently speaking to IGN Japan, Platinum Games President uh, Atsushi Inaba and the Vice President Hideki Kamiya, which is the one we typically hear from, Uh, made point that they would still like to make a return to Scalebound uh, with Microsoft's involvement, which they would have to be because Microsoft owns the IP uh, and all the assets from the canceled game. It was Platinum that was developing it under a third-party deal. Uh, Let's see. Let's read read some quotes here, and then I can give you my takes on them. Atsushi Inaba said, quote, Both Kamiya and I are serious. We would really love to work on Scalebound again. I'd like to discuss it with Microsoft properly, end quote. Now, Kamiya, who was the one who created Scalebound and was the director, uh, said that development initially had progressed in a, a fairly good like, like production line. Like they've had, a, had finished quite a bit of the game, I guess you would say, at that point. And it was odd for Microsoft to hold on to that work. He was kind of frustrated by the fact that they made all this progress on the game. And then Microsoft's kind of hoarding the assets is, is more how he says, uh, says it through, through different translators, we should note. Now... He says, quote, Phil, Phil, let's do it together, end quote, as a plea towards Xbox gamers. He said that part in English. Uh, now, I have strong feelings, I guess, about the way they are handling this, because it's one thing to say they would like to return to an IP uh, in a very calm and collected way. However, when you've got the the director you know, Hideki Kamiya out there consistently doing this every few months uh, and making pleas directly to Phil Spencer 
I don't like that. It feels to me like you're trying to weaponize a fan base. And when the game didn't get made, the team cited issues of the engine and the scale of what they wanted to do. No pun intended. Platinum said they just didn't understand the scale of what it was they were trying to create. uh, And they were struggling with the engine and the production line. And without a doubt, on paper, the game looks incredible. I really, as someone who's not super into the fantasy realm, I mean, I have some games that I really like in the fantasy realm, and but like dragons and such are not my jam outside of like Dragon's Dogma and the occasional similar thing you would see in The Witcher 3, right? I thought Plat- I thought Platinum Games Scalebound looked really good. Like I was really like into it. I think that was a cool aesthetic. I was interested in it. I was fascinating. Um, on paper and in clips, the game really does look great, but... It was canceled for a reason, and I think that's something that we tend to forget at this point so many years removed. It's consistently looked at as the game that got away, the game that would have brought people to Xbox, and that just doesn't make sense. For all the praise that Xbox gamers tend to give the evangelized Phil Spencer uh, and all the trust they tend to put in him, it's important to remember that he and his team chose to cancel that game in a time when Xbox desperately needed content. They desperately needed games to come out on their platform. This was before the Series X. This was before Bethesda. This was before some of the biggest heavy hitters were folding into Xbox's catalog. They needed a game like Scalebound to galvanize people. And if they were willing to cancel it at that time, then clearly some things were not going right. Something about the partnership wasn't working out. Something about the game wasn't working out. And Microsoft took a lot of flack for that. As the years have gone on, in the course of five years, it's been coming to light that, simply put, Platinum was misusing funds uh, and putting their scale-bound money money towards other projects. Some people have suggested that was Near Automata, which was a great game in its own right. But if you're getting paid for one job and money's getting funneled into another, that tends to destroy faith in relationships, particularly when you have one that was set to be multi-platform over time versus one that was meant to be exclusive. Uh, Moreover, there are multiple teams within Platinum Games and their track record is very spotty. You know, for every incredible game that they that Platinum creates, they seem to make two or three that really fall subpar. I'm thinking Ninja Turtles and Legend of Korra, etc. And so it's it's really frustrating. I, for one, do not want to see the Scalebound IP go away. I mean, in many ways, this story needs to die. Uh, but Scalebound is a cool idea, right? Dragons and guns and riding around as a companion. Uh, or, or with a dragon companion. That's a really cool concept. I think it's really neat. And the art style was dope. But the trust in Platinum seems to have been frayed and fried. And I doubt Hideki Kamiya gets a second chance with the IP, no matter how much he tries to galvanize people to his cause. Uh, that said, I would not mind if Scalebound as an IP went to another studio. I think that would burn any last bridges between Platinum Games and Microsoft. But uh, it, in hindsight, it feels like Platinum owes xbox one they owe them something on some level if they want to repair a relationship now i don't mean this in like a tit-for-tat one-to-one type ratios not something childish or whatnot but in order to restore business faith you need to cut a business deal on some level um, and i don't think scalebound is that but you know at this point who am i i think it was more the frustration of seeing the unprofessional element of galvanizing a a listener base, a fan base to try and rally to your cause when you have consistently uh, proven that you can't be trusted with certain IP, some IP land great. Others fall flat. 
And that track record is too spotty for a third party exclusive deal to be reopened without some assurances. So uh, as much as I like the concept of Scalebound, it's five years old and the hindsight, the look back, the time removed, you know, what is it? Uh, Time heals all wounds, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. And when you think about that, like it's like, oh man, Scalebound is the one that got away. We could get it back. The reality is that game is five years gone and those assets and such are old and, and done. And you would, uh, would you really want that particular work to be, to be, you know, reactivated? And I don't have a good answer for that, but I, I don't feel that Platinum deserves the trust of returning the potential boon of that IP, which I think you'll see scale bound again. I do think down the line when it's time for a shot in the arm to game pass or to uh, the Xbox brand, the platinum games relationship down the line, it could happen, but assurances would need to be made. And uh, I'm very curious to know just what happens with that. So, I mean, we'll see, but uh, it, it, it's consistently coming up every few months. Uh, I feel like at that point, you're going to get a mirror's edge two situation where finally, you know, somebody agrees to make it, it comes out, a few people are happy and then it kind of, you know, flies away into the wind to be forgotten once again. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Now, Call of Duty, that's an entirely different topic. For a couple reasons this week, Call of Duty and Activision were back in the news regarding this ongoing deal, the acquisition of of uh, Activision Blizzard by Xbox, the Acta Blizzard deal, as I've been calling it. And I think a few other people have been calling it too, but I still came up with it on my own. just want to point that out. That's my, that's my tip of the hat to myself. Yep, that's what I'm hanging my hat on. Uh, news about this deal kind of ongoing when you have $70 billion, you have a lot of regulators from the European Union, uh, as well as the United States government. Lots of people just examining it, making sure there's not antitrust stuff. And it's going to be an ongoing thing of discussion. And in what looked like an appeal towards those regulators that are kind of watching this. Uh, Microsoft came out and said that they would be allowing Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles to be released on PlayStation and other platforms uh, beyond their existing agreements. Now, beyond their existing agreements and into the future is the exact wording they used. And this has led people to speculate, okay, what is this, a time deal? Are they going to have some games, not others? But it looks like Call of Duty will continue on PlayStation platforms and any other competing platforms that may emerge from, say, Amazon, Apple, or any other future cloud-based uh, techs in the, you know, as they come out over the next few years. I am not bothered by this. I think a lot of people were really frustrated and having a lot of debate over the, you don't spend $7 billion on Bethesda to make exclusive games or not make exclusive games, and then you multiply that by 10 times, what are you going to do with Call of Duty? Uh a lot of debate on that, and it seems to me that what they're attempting to do is address any regulatory concerns that may happen as far as stopping that deal from going through, and then creating Call of Duty to be uh, something akin to Minecraft, where Microsoft owns it, and they reap the benefits and the profits that come in from, and pour in from all other platforms. They would do the same thing with Candy Crush, etc., reap the benefits of all that profit, but allow it to exist in multiple spaces. That's how they've treated Minecraft when they had that $2 billion acquisition that seems small at this point from, from many years ago. Uh, and Microsoft and, and Minecraft have both benefited from it. It seems they want to do the same thing with Call of Duty. 
let's look at a quote here. This one comes from President Brad Smith, president of uh, Activision Blizzard, I should say. Uh, he says, quote, to be clear, Microsoft will continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles available on PlayStation through the term of existing agreements with Activision. And we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available for PlayStation beyond the existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games they love, end quote. I think I misspoke a moment ago when I said he was a president over at Activision. I believe it's actually uh, one of the Microsoft ones. But you know what? I didn't clip that part out in the notes. So whatever. Brad Smith, important guy on this deal, what have you. Sure. Uh, it's yeah. In the end of the day, this seems like they're going to reap the benefits of that profit. Now, how does this benefit Microsoft gamers or, or people that are, are primarily focused on Xbox and really wanted this deal to be a boon for Xbox? This benefits you tremendously. You're going to see a cross-play game exist on multiple platforms and bring in revenue from multiple games, whether it's Call of Duty proper or Warzone's equivalent at the time. It looks like they're making a new one, so that's why I'm saying that. Um, meanwhile, you get to play the game in Game Pass on day one. And to me, that's a big win. Players over on the PlayStation side can you know, pay $70 to, to play uh, a Microsoft-owned game, Microsoft game, an Xbox Game Studios game. They can pay 70 bucks and they can participate in microtransactions. That money gets funneled into you know, Microsoft Game Studios. Uh, but then at the same time, Xbox gamers who have subscribed to Game Pass get it day one at no cost. To me, that's a big win. I don't see any problem with that. I see no concerns with that. I was not particularly perturbed by that. Call of Duty is a franchise that has made some incredible games. It's also been very frustrating in the past few years. Vanguard certainly did disappoint. Uh, like it or not, no two ways about it, Vanguard did not do what it was supposed to do for Activision. And with the ongoing battles of leadership in the studios, unionization efforts, uh, there's a lot of things to not like about Call of Duty. But strictly on gameplay, uh, I, I don't want to see the franchise go away. I do want to see a lot of the kind of evil that's been surrounding it and the mistreatment of um, their employees, etc. I think that'll improve under Microsoft's uh, tutelage, which is good. Um, bottom line, Xbox gamers should not be upset by this. You know, it doesn't matter if the game is exclusive, if you're benefiting from it. Uh, and it's not like Xbox is going anywhere. That's one thing that seems to consistently bother people when they discuss exclusive games and the competition between Sony, between PlayStation, you know, which game this game tit for tat. Um, it doesn't seem to be a big deal to me. I don't, I'm not bothered by it. Game Pass will be wherever it is in 10 years, whether it's a cloud-based service, there's a streaming stick that's on its way. I don't know that I should have said that, but like that's happening. There's a, there's multiple ways to access Xbox games and why not? Why not pretend that, or why not, why pretend that it's a big deal that PlayStation gamers get to play the healthier the game the more cross-play you get, the more cross-save you get, cross-progression, and I don't care which platform my friends are playing on, provided I get to play with them. What I never want to lose, and this is the realest of real truths, guys. I tweeted this, and I want to make it very clear. At the end of the day, the biggest end of the day, when I step back, I do not want to lose my legacy of memories on Xbox. For me, it is about my gamer score. That gamer score represents the memories I've built on this platform, my cloud saves so I can always go back to the worlds that I've been invested in. Wherever I log in on, if it has that, I'm a happy guy. Whether I'm playing with an Elite 2 controller, an Elite 4 controller, a DualSense, the DualSense successor, I truly don't care provided I don't lose the legacy of memories that I've created. If in 10 years I'm playing Halo on a DualSense 4, cool, fine by me, awesome. 
I don't want to lose the saves. I don't want to lose the memories, the captures, the gamer score, all the things that that are now what we expect with our time investment into a platform. I don't want to lose that. But the physical device is less and less important to me. At this point in time, Microsoft has the best hardware. PS5 was over-engineered. It's too big. It's bulky. It does have a heating issue, which is why they're, they made it that big. Rock on. The system the system works great. Like I'm not knocking that. What I'm saying is, as far as engineering, the Series S and X at this time are better. You could not say that about Xbox at the Xbox One generation, right? You could not say that until the Series S, maybe. Yeah, I think it was, I think that was, I would say the, the Xbox One S and One X, better, better systems, uh, but, but far too late in the game. But what does that mean? Mm, to me, it's like, oh, they're rocking it right now. But I really don't care about the hardware down the line. I really don't. I, I really want to just have my memories there. So if Call of Duty or any other platform is multi-platform, and people can jump into those franchises, as long as I get to log in and play with my legacy, I'm a happy guy. I'm cool with that. And for all the IP that were picked up in this Activision Blizzard deal, uh, am I affected if they go exclusive or not? I don't think so. I think if they're in Game Pass Day 1, that's where I'm benefiting. That's where I'm a happy camper. Do I care if more people get to play the next Spyro? No, that's awesome. More people should play the next Spyro. More people should play these games. Uh, and whether you're buying it at 70 bucks per or you are our game pass day one. That's a great thing for me. I'm okay with that. Uh, more and more, I've come around to this idea. Maybe five, six years ago, I'd have been against it. Maybe two, two years ago, I'd have been a bit more skeptical about it. But more and more, I think about it. It's about the legacy for me, not the hardware. Um, I really love the Xbox brand at this point, but I sure didn't during Xbox One. I was PlayStation 4 for a long time, for a long time. And so why be upset uh, as we move forward, that other games are available to people. So I urge you to consider that as you look forward. If you're an Xbox gamer listening to this show and you want Microsoft to benefit from these deals, keep in mind that they will. They'll benefit from all the revenue generated on other platforms, and you as a subscriber will get it on day one. Uh, and if you are somebody who who doesn't mind where you're playing, enjoy playing where you want to play. Why not? If you're a PlayStation gamer and you're going to pay 70 bucks and you're happy with it, rock on. Rock on. I know I'm happy with several games I've bought outside the Xbox ecosystem. Why wouldn't I be, right? Uh, so anywho, you know, that, there's there's plenty to discuss uh, about that. I do think Game Pass members will get perks within that deal, similar to how PlayStation gamers were treated uh, better by Activision during during Destiny's, you know, first few years, right? They got exclusive missions and Sparrows, et cetera. Why not, you know? Fine, give people a perk here and there. But uh, the biggest thing is I want to see Xbox getting those perks in the ways that they hadn't in years past. Now. Call of Duty in the news for that reason, but also announcing a new game for this year in a move that shocked everyone. I say that in jest. Of course, we knew a new Call of Duty would be on its way. Vanguard didn't do what it needed to do as far as brand engagement. Uh, and again, the surrounding controversies, controversies there. It looks like officially announced this will be a sequel to 2019's Modern Warfare, which, by the way, fantastic game. Modern Warfare was really good in 2019. If you didn't play it, I loved it. Um, speaking about the campaign, I didn't play enough in the multiplayer to give you an informed decision. Um, this will be developed in tandem with a new Warzone release that is designed together to be built from the ground up. Now, this is fascinating because it looks like it's going to be an evolution of Battle Royale with a new play space and sandbox mode, which is verbiage that seems to, to suggest to me it's going to be easier to update, similar to that of Fortnite, where they're able to make changes quickly and this new engine will benefit that which is dope 
by the way. You have to imagine you'll get more crossovers in the future. Uh, they've had some crossovers here and there. They felt a little out of place, but you know, down the line, do you see Master Chief inspired armor? Sure, why not? Don't be upset about it. Um, but yeah, for this to get a new engine, ground up, new Warzone 2, Modern Warfare sequel, I'm, I'm excited by this. It's led by Infinity Ward. Uh, I'm excited by this, provided that we don't hear more ongoing mistreatment towards employees. That's what pulled me away from purchasing anything related to Vanguard. You may notice that I barely covered Vanguard on this channel at the time. Uh, to that effect, if we find out more about that, then I'm going to abstain from Modern Warfare 2, and that sucks because I really liked Modern Warfare. Uh, particularly in a time where like, we haven't gotten any good modern military shooters. Battlefield disappointed, Crossfire really disappointed. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, I really want this game to go well, and I want to hear good news out of the studios as far as leadership and treatment of employees. So, you know, expect that to be there to be something there on, on that front. Uh, when we have news of Call of Duty as a brand, not going to be exclusive, but have exclusive perks, going to have a new engine, like a real new engine, not one that they kind of like faked in the previous years, a real new engine built from the ground up to appease to Warzone as well. This to me is encouraging. They've got to address a lot of anti-cheat stuff. They've really had a bad time uh, with cheating in the PC space and in the console space. Uh, Halo can, fans can relate to that. Surely PC has absolutely devastated the player base in Halo Infinite as well. Um, if they can address that stuff, they can get Call of Duty back on track. And I say back on track, it's off track right now and still selling gangbusters. You know, so so there's something to that. I'm excited by this news of Call of Duty. I'm excited by this these answers of exclusivity. Uh, I'm not deterred or demeaned by it. I'm looking forward to what it is they bring about. So uh, let me know what you guys think, both about Scalebound and about this new Call of Duty stuff. Uh, are you deterred in any way based on kind of these litigations, the exclusivity stuff? Let me know at Insipid Ghost on Twitter. And while you're at it, let's just drop this in the middle of the of the, the, the show. Maybe throw a like. Maybe throw a subscribe. You know what I mean? Rate it on iTunes. Rate it on Spotify. Help a buddy out. You know what I mean? I'm seeing my buddies, Joe and, and Ainsley, my incredible cast co-op partners. Their channels are growing like crazy. Throw a little XCP love my way. I wouldn't hate you for it. Hello. This is Mike Biffle, uh, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex. And you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Well, as we leave the topic of Call of Duty behind in, in I would say, positive vibes, like, like good directions for Call of Duty uh, that'll be years in the making, Ubisoft is in the news for all the wrong reasons yet again. Now, this is twofold. On the one hand, kind of cool, Ubisoft is working on a new Assassin's Creed game to help bolster its sparse schedule. Now, what's interesting is that the, one of the games they were working on was originally going to be an expansion. They're now moving it to be a standalone game, and it will... Uh, come out in, I think, the next year or so. Now, that's that's a little question mark I didn't answer in my notes. Whoops. Uh, I'm all over the place this morning, guys. Bottom line, there was a, an Assassin's Creed Valhalla expansion that is now going to be released as a standalone. They found out in late 2021 that it was just too big to be an expansion. They're going to make it a standalone thing. That, cool. Ty Guy Travis, who was on the show last week, uh, he's reviewing the most recent expansion for Valhalla. He said good things about it, put a lot of time into it. Check out his review on IGN. But that wasn't what, what locked in on me for it, because Ubisoft has burned a lot of bridges with how they've treated fa their fans, how they've treated their employees, really becoming one of those companies that is just, yikes. It's, it's EA-level bad in terms of being voted worst company, right? 
Now, that memory of EA being voted worst company is popped in as one of the Ubisoft employees posted to an internal forum that they were wondering if Ubisoft was competing for that title after it was announced that they would be giving NFTs as compensation to their employees. In lieu of financial and other perks, they were giving NFTs to their employees. Yikes. Yikes. With all the ongoing litigation, the mistreatment of the employees, the sexual harassment stuff, Ubisoft decided to compensate employees with NFTs. This is disheartening. It is uh, frustrating. And you have to wonder at this point, if you're working at Ubisoft, if you're working at Activision, why you don't just leave and go work for somewhere else? I will tell you why, because if you have ever worked at a job that was awful and mistreated people, but that was your source of income to provide for your family or your rent, you effectively feel stuck and it is heartbreaking. I can vividly remember working at GameStop uh, in years past being forced to, to push these bad for developer deals, these not good for the gaming industry elements of used games, pushing these things that the grandmas really didn't want with the, you know, the power up pro memberships and pre-orders that do absolutely nothing for you. Uh, I just remember distinctly all of these bad policies that were instituted by GameStop and I was stuck. I had had to pay my rent and this is what this was my job and I couldn't find anything else at the time. It took a while that's likely what's happening to a lot of these developers. And it's frustrating because you you feel for them and you also kind of feel frustrated at them. Like, hey, go work somewhere else. And that's just not a realistic thing. That's something you say off the cuff when you're upset and then you take a moment and think about it. And you're like, logically, that's just not a fair thing to tell someone who's trying to feed his kids in the gaming industry, the gaming industry that's notoriously difficult, that has bad turnover rates. Uh, my hope is that the ongoing calling out process, the articles that are being written, the willingness to speak out against things that are unfair, the ongoing persistence to do right from employees towards those who are in management uh, continues to shine a spotlight. The only way things get changed truly is if dollar bills are affected. And my hope is that dollar bills are affected in Ubisoft's uh, instance, the way they've been affected in Activision's, right? Vanguard didn't do well for a host of reasons, but among them was how they were treating employees. I would hope that starts to happen for Ubisoft because if you think back to the days where Vivendi was trying to take over Ubisoft, Ubisoft was doing everything right, man. They were doing right by their fans. They were doing right by employees, at least at the time it seemed that way. Maybe that's not true. But during that time, Ubisoft was listening and trying to make sure they could stand on their own and be trusted within the gaming industry. That's not the case now, right? That pressure is important. Pressure on any company is important. So uh, my heart goes out to those people who are working over at Ubisoft. Uh, my heart goes out to those of you who are considering these things as you purchase games. Purchase the games you want, without a doubt. Just try to inform yourself on what it is and make it an informed decision. Um, I know I've done that more in the last two years, three years, right? I think the one thing about the pandemic, if you were to find a silver lining, is that it gave people time to listen, time to speak. And in listening and speaking, we're finding out a lot about the industry. So I don't know, maybe I'm babbling at this point, but I, I think it's a good side effect of an awful situation is that we're becoming more aware of these things and people are being willing to speak out against it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well,
Well, Crossfire X released. A lot of questions surrounding this free-to-play game that was launching into Game Pass. The game made by Smilegate on the multiplayer side, Remedy on the single-player side. Lots of questions, lots of excitement. Sure didn't send out review codes for this one. Even IGN didn't get them till the day before, which, yikes, right? Uh, I've played Crossfire X as multiplayer. I played it in the beta a few years ago. I liked the beta a few years ago. Certainly problems, but it's a beta, so you forgive things. Guys, I don't know what changed between the beta and now, but somehow the game is worse. And I don't think it's my expectations versus the reality. It feels like they improved nothing from the beta is what is how it feels. I'm sure they would have a list, but Smilegate really, really, really botched this launch. Crossfire X uh, has the core of what could be fun in kind of a rogue company, cheaper kind of way, like just a free to play, jump in, have a good time, get some easy achievements. Uh, I've had a little bit of fun with it here and there, but it is a disaster of a launch. It's really bad. Now, it's bad for a lot of reason, reasons, and Famous Seamus wrote in asking about my impressions of Crossfire X so far. Uh, for sure, this game is a disgrace to the Game Pass name for, for a lot of things. Um, it launched into Game Pass, of course, but the multiplayer is free to play. Now, that's not strange in and of itself. Halo did this exact thing. Campaign uh, would be available to Game Pass subscribers for free, and multiplayer is available for everyone. However, broken netcode, zero improvements from the beta, which I liked, uh, spawn issues, different types of, of power imbalancing within the system, very slow, uh, frustrating menus. This feels like an unfinished product is releasing with the Xbox Game Pass moniker right next to it. And to that point, the campaigns, only one of them is in Game Pass, but you can't unlock it if you have Game Pass right now. It's launched and Game Pass subscribers cannot access that particular content. So much so that it's been reported that Xbox has removed it from Game Pass. That, that Game Pass logo, no longer there, not able to access it through Game Pass. You're not, it's not available until that issue is fixed. This is bad. Now, this is bad on a couple levels. On the one hand, Smilegate, the multiplayer side of things. They just released Lost Ark. In the same week, they released Lost Ark, this huge MMORPG that landed a million concurrent players over on Steam, massively watched over on Twitch. Huge success. They also launched Crossfire X at the same time. It is very obvious where the resources for development were put of the two games. Lost Ark nailed it. Smilegate crushed it. Boom. Crossfire X left out to dry. This is a game that Microsoft was super excited to bring to the West. It was a huge PC game over in Korea. Uh, very much a Counter-Strike uh, clone, I guess you might say, CSGO style. Really exciting to be bringing it to the West. Then the marketing went null and quiet. And Xbox very much distanced themselves from the brand, said nothing about it. It was only people like me who were like, hey, where'd that game go? That were at all even bringing Crossfire X up. The game comes out in this state, and it's like they didn't work on it from the beta. Truly a disaster. Very frustrating, I think, on a couple levels, because this could have been a big win. You have Battlefield and Vanguard, which disappointed. You could have had a great military shooter into your platform, uh, exclusively into your platform, because Crossfire X is not over on the PlayStation side, and Smilegate really dropped the ball. And Microsoft clearly knew, because they, they stopped marketing it over a year ago. They were just like, nope. They distanced themselves from it. So big drop of the ball there. The other drop of the ball is that the campaign was half of the campaigns. So like one of the campaigns, one of the missions, it's very weird and badly marketed the way they did it. They're supposed to go into Game Pass. 
It's not unlocking. It's made by Remedy. Remedy, who is riding high off of Control and the Alan Wake remaster, the announcement of Alan Wake 2, and it's only passable based on reports. I haven't played it myself yet. I want to play it. Honest to goodness, I like military shooters. They're an easy jump in point. Jump in, shoot some things, jump out, move on with your life. To me, that's a really approachable thing. It's fun, right? Free to play, easy in Game Pass. I was going to go in there and get achievements anyway and have a good time. It's so disappointing. So disappointing. And it brings up the idea, the question that should Microsoft be curating what goes into Game Pass more strictly? Surely they have quality control uh, elements of their store. However, I also I made a tweet about them having quality control and I was so tired I misspelled it and it said uh, CQ instead of QC for quality control. And a couple people pointed out to me and I was just like, huh, the irony is not lost on me that I didn't, you know, quality control my own tweet. Ironic. Um, they really need to do a better job of quality control over on their store. Recently, somebody released a game uh, into their store called Spider Superhuman. It looks like Mega Man with a Spider-Man skin. Uh, and they were using the Spider-Man PS4 images. How is that getting through? How is that getting through? That's one element that they need to do a better job regulating. But the other element is that they need to protect Game Pass better. They need to protect Game Pass from broken games. Not games that are considered bad or not for you, right? If you don't like a game or you, or, or it's you know scoring low on Metacritic or whatnot, that's not the type of regulation that you should be putting in all the time, right? Different people will like different things. You want diversity in your platform. What you don't want releasing into your premier subscription service are broken games where the net code doesn't work, where the unlocks aren't working, where people who are subscribed to your service and your service is reflective of your brand overall, you're related to whatever launches into that. You don't want games like this or situations like this happening. Without a doubt, Game Pass is still the best deal in gaming at the moment until Sony's day and date version comes in and then you have you can you can toss it up and see what they're making at the time. But without a doubt, Game Pass is still incredible. AAA, indie, amazing games are all through there. So it feels strange to complain about Crossfire X, but really it's a, a warning sign to the future to say that if they don't get a handle on making sure that broken games don't go into their service, they will be damaging their brand name going forward and that's a problem for a brand that is recovering brilliantly but recovering from a massive loss in a generation there's no way to get around the xbox one disappointed a lot of people everybody not everybody you know the majority of people are interested in playstation or interested in pc or nintendo and xbox is a recovering brand in third place and everything that they misstep gets magnified 10 times over nintendo can make missteps all day long and be forgiven for it I don't quite get it, but they can. PlayStation can make missteps. They can be forgiven for it. When you're making God of War, Horizon, Uncharted, etc., you get the forgiveness. And unfair or not, that's how it is. So Microsoft has to mind the P's and Q's. That quality control on the Game Pass side, no broken games, no Life of Black Tiger can come into Game Pass. It can release on the platform, but it can't come into Game Pass. And there's a big difference between those two things. So I hope this was a good lesson. For the future, I'm hoping meetings are happening to say, hey, let's avoid this in future. And on Smilegate and Remedy's side, Remedy's damaged their reputation by being associated with this, but not much. My suspicion is that people will forget this very quickly. Um, that's that's not a good sign. But at the same time, it's like, all right, Remedy, you have all bangers until this. You know, Where are we going to land on, on this one? Uh, Smilegate, though, nobody's thinking about Crossfire X. They don't care one bit. They just put out Lost Ark, which is a huge success. So 
Crossfire will, will go into the, the annals of history, gone down as a failure, a bad experiment in the West, a bad PC port, um, and it will be forgotten. For now, though, jump in. It's an easy way to get a 1,000 gamer score. I think I'm up to like 300. I am having a few minutes of fun here and there. You know, fun enough, but like it will be quickly forgotten in favor of other games that are doing far better, like Halo, like Fortnite, you know, etc. There, there's other stuff to be had uh, for that one. Uh, let's quickly, I want to quickly mention Halo. Uh, it's come up a few times that the player base is dwindling on the Halo Infinite side. And I think that's to be expected. Um, without a doubt, still the most successful launch in Halo history. None of the Halo games ever have had 20 million players at any point, especially not in this window of time. Uh, we know season one has disappointed in how long it's going to be. We know the game didn't didn't do what they wanted to as far as how it released. And I think it's starting to get some retroactive hate for that. Uh, but, you know, just a month ago, two months ago, we were praising it real high. They've just been slow to address certain things, quick to address others. Um, I think it's just the, the way it was going to be. That was the way it had to be. And, you know, in a in a timeline where Call of Duty Battlefield and Crossfire X have failed in the shooter service, Halo's still just fine. It's still doing doing just fine. Sure, the, the player base has dwindled comparatively, um, but it's competing now against... It's competing against... Uh, I'm sorry... Warzone and Fortnite and Destiny, ongoing proven games versus the ones that have released. So I think we have to to acknowledge that and surely note that, yeah, they do need to get content rolling. They do need to get things going. And um, I think you're going to see expansions kind of happen to this one as a platform. Without a doubt, like many live service games, that year one is always kind of odd. You know, you can look at all the ones I just listed, plus Sea of Thieves, State of Decay, and anything else in Xbox's ongoing catalog. And yeah, the year one release, rough compared to everything else that's coming out, but I'm fine with it. You know, they came in, they got it back on track, delivered a great campaign. We got the show coming out. They're getting the store under wraps. They know season two needs to happen. Uh, I'm okay with all of this. You know, when the, when the battle passes don't expire, they can drop season two when they're ready. If it happens sooner than what they said, uh, surely 343 is aware of all these things. So just something that kind of occurred to me at this point now. Let's take a break, a break real quick, and then I want to talk about Infernax, which is launching the Game Pass, and then we've got a developer interview with Berserk Studios who made this game, and it's dope. All right, guys, much under the radar was this title, Infernax, which I'm betting some of you listeners have not heard about at this point, but it is launching onto multiple platforms and on to Game Pass February 14th, so by the time this episode is out... You will likely have access to it. Steam, PlayStation, Xbox, it's all there, right? It's even on Switch. Infernax is dope. It is super bloody, and it's a love letter to, like, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, and Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest. Two games that were really good in their own rights from way back in the day. Uh, that's right, I said way back in the day, because if you played it, you're old. Uh, but those games are really good, despite being grand departures from their original titles. Infernax is a love letter to them covered in blood, and it is fantastic. I am loving this game. You play as Alcador, which can easily, you can change the name, and I changed my character's name to Luke, and he's a duke, like he's a prince, so it keeps saying Duke Luke, which is awkward the entire time. But you're going through in this side-scrolling, pixelated, kind of 8-bit style uh, game, and I don't know how to describe my joy of it as I play it. It's super responsive in all the ways. It plays like those old Castlevania and Zelda 2 games, but it's so much more modernized in its inventory system and in how quickly and responsive the game moves. 
and it is just covered in blood. I can't get past this. The monster designs are grotesque and awesome. There's a choice system in the game where you are making morality link decisions. You know, do I slaughter this person? Do I help this person? Do I take on this quest? Do I just kill this guy and rob him? You're you're making these decisions in, in this two this two D pixelated. Uh, system and then you're reaping the benefits or consequences of those decisions Uh, and it it allows you this really cool kind of blend of new school mechanics and old school gameplay i'm absolutely loving that element of it plus the simple fact of playing it means you're moving through the game and seeing different enemy types which are all designed in this really cool violent demonic style this old knights and and uh, crusades art style And these monsters are just wild. You'll have a monster with an eyeball in its chest that's surrounded by teeth as it swings this grand, large, huge uh, buster sword around trying to to kill you. And there is an old school mode and what you might call a more casual mode. The old school mode has the the one or two lives uh, at first to start off that any traditional NES game would have had. Meanwhile, casual mode, which is what I played it in, allows you continues and save points. Uh, and and you can keep going, and it's a little bit less punishing with a more modern like checkpoint style uh, of gameplay. But I'm having an absolute blast with it. You make these decisions, you move through, you battle through uh, the different bosses to unlock different areas, very Castlevania esque, Metroid esque in certain spots. Uh, and each each exploratory uh, mission that that you discover more of the map also brings about more violent bosses, more art designs that are just really telling. And you're getting to level up your character in terms of armor and in magic spells. Honest to goodness, guys, this game, I'd never heard of it. Never heard of it until I looked at the upcoming Game Pass releases. And then after investigating it, reaching out to the team, jumping on a a microphone with them, which you'll be able to hear the interview in just a few moments. um, I'm really glad I played this. And for anyone that's skeptical about it, check it out in Game Pass. It's By the time this episode is live, you should be playing it uh, or have access to playing it. It's really good. It's a really fun game. I'm having so much fun with it. And it really came out of nowhere. In talking to the team, I found out that the game has been in development for a very long time. Uh, It was an old project of theirs that they kind of reignited. Uh, And the fact that it's going into Game Pass means I think a lot of people will get eyes on it in ways that they hadn't or wouldn't have prior. I think this will likely sell gangbusters over on the Switch. We know Limited Run Games is doing stuff with them. But this game is not to be missed. Infernax is a weird title, weird name, but it is so much fun. It is just so much fun. It's pure uh, Zelda 2-style, Castlevania-style gameplay that I, I think anybody will just really have a blast with. And in the midst of a February that has launched with Dying Light 2, that's got Elden Ring coming out on the PlayStation side, a new Horizon game. There's a lot of heavy hitters that are going to steal some headlines. Don't let Infernax slip through your fingers. Don't let this brilliant 2D game uh, that is a, a love letter to games of yore, don't let this go through your hands. Nintendo fans, I'm telling you, this was built for the Switch. This was built for you. You absolutely need to check this one out. If you're skeptical, skeptical, try it in Game Pass. Play it via xCloud. I'm I'm just I can't be more thrilled with it. Honest to goodness, I could not be more thrilled with it. Um, so I'm reaping the praise onto Infernax. Consider it a must play for fans of games of yore. To my player one crew, Chris Johnson, if you're listening, this game is for you. This game is for Phil. Uh, you you absolutely need to play it uh, for sure, guys. Check out Infernax, uh, and then in the back half of the episode, after we do listener mail, you you I think you'll enjoy. I did an abbreviated interview with them. 
uh, but I think you'll really enjoy it. So, so check that one out for sure. It was a pleasure to talk to, to talk to that team. Uh, let's do one or two listener questions. Let's do one or two listener questions here. Uh, and then we'll kind of get rolling on out. Uh, Kevin Ainsworth says, how do you feel about censorship in video games? Not just about the Martha is dead censorship, uh, but should platform holders decisions and where is that line drawn? What is acceptable and what isn't? Mm, Okay, so Kevin's talking about Martha is dead, a game that is being censored on the PlayStation side of things, presumably for extreme violence. It is not being censored on other platforms, including Xbox. Um, Kevin, I do not think censorship in in any way, shape, or form is a good thing. I do think curation is a good thing with appropriate amount of uh, what you might call systems in place to make sure that people don't just access it, something that Twitch does a really bad job of, right? Like any kid can log on and see adult content. Um, That's an issue. But censorship, I don't think that's a good thing. I'm not a fan of like, games not being sold if they have an AO rating or 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 whatnot. Um, it really bothers me. Censorship is a dangerous thing. And I'm going to equate this to something in education that I'm seeing in the United States. Right now, as a teacher, I'm very uh, concerned that certain states are trying to whitewash history even more than it's already been and remove elements from the educational system. We've got states like Tennessee and Texas, which are uh, not talking about the Holocaust and not talking about how Nazis are bad. We're seeing books get banned because uh, they show that white people have absolutely just destroyed history. And history is not opinionated. History is facts. History is what happened. It didn't, didn't happen. And so when you censor things, you are doing twofold, twofold. There's a twofold effect. On the one hand, you're getting more spotlight onto the issue. Recently, a book called Mouse, a graphic novel called Mouse, which depicts uh, the trials and tribulations of the of the Jews during the Nazi uh, kind of regime, it, it shows the threat of that. That game, that book was banned in Tennessee, and as a result, the sales skyrocketed seven hundred and fifty one percent, as it should. It's a great book, and I bought two for my classroom. Everyone should read it. You should all know history. Now, in the gaming space, Martha is Dead looks to be a fine game published by Wired uh, Productions, and it looks to be fine. But because it's getting censored on PlayStation. The spotlight is on that on that game, and they're going to sell really well. So that's good for them, right? The other side of it is, who's to say what an artist can and can't create? Who's to say that should and shouldn't be happening? It should be up to, in my opinion, in a capitalist society, it should be up to the customer to decide whether or not it is worth it to them. Uh, it is not for companies to decide what parents should and shouldn't do. Uh, it is not for company distributors to decide what, not distributors, platform holders to decide what type of art artists create. There is a line there and it's a blurred line and you can't definitively always say, you know, 100% we're allowing this or not allowing that. But there is a responsibility to make sure that artists are allowed to create the art they want. You can apply this argument to the difficulty discussions that are ongoing when it comes to Souls-like games. You can apply this to the types of violence that is are depicted in games. You can put warnings, you can put labels, uh, you know, verify your login information, whatever it is you need to do, but I don't think you should be censoring games. In reality, the Martha is dead stuff is probably going to be over is probably being over exaggerated. Could I could I be wrong? Sure. But we've seen so much violence in games. In Call of Duty, you mow down enemies with bullets. Why is that worse or not worse? Why is that considered acceptable versus pornography in 
you know, a Grand Theft Auto. I don't know. You go to a strip club and you watch dancers nude. Why is one thing acceptable versus another? To me, it doesn't always add up and doesn't match up. I go back to experiences in selling video games and in talking to parents about video games uh, at school and otherwise. We say that nudity is a bad thing, but we'll let people murder and kill in other games. Why is certain types of violence in a game acceptable versus not? The image that we've seen in Martha is Dead that seems to be circulating as the reason it was censored is somebody peeling the skin, like cutting the skin off of a, a, a corpse's face and peeling off the, the skin. Okay. That is gross, but it's a horror game. It's a horror movie. You see this stuff all the time. Why is that considered worse than assassinating someone in Assassin's Creed or running over a prostitute in Grand Theft Auto or going to a strip club in a certain game? Like what to me, what is the question? Like to me, what is worse? What is acceptable? What is not? And that's a line that I'm not sure should be definitive, right? Like, I'm not sure that is what should happen. So how I feel is that it should be done on a case by case basis, but in large part, an effort should be made not to interrupt the art of an artist's creation and certain warnings should be there for people to, to, to take a step back and to know what is in the game. If that means before you purchase a game that is M rated, you go through, you see a checklist, fine, what have you. It's not up to the platform holder to decide that stuff. Uh, but it's a complicated issue for sure, for sure, in terms of entertainment. But in terms of history, when I go back to that argument, never should we be canceling history, censoring history, and we should never shy away from that. Um, and I guess it's it's a close to home question for me because I see so much whitewashing of it. And I see so many people that don't want to acknowledge the tragedies of, of old. Uh, it's It's just a little odd to me. So, you know, if I ranted a bit, I didn't mean to, but that's kind of where I stand on that one. Blaze Knight, Blaze Knight, can I just say it's so cool to see you in my timeline once again, buddy. I hope you're doing well. He wants to know which Xbox first party IP would make for a fun crossover. Think State of Decay cross Fallout, where the result is a Fallout game with a State of Decay flavor, where you're focused on growing your community using multiple characters and the ghouls and synthetics. Uh, that's a cool idea, man. I want to see a lot of crossovers and stuff. I thought it was really dope in Gears when you could play as the Spartans. Uh, I want to see Spartan inspired. Uh, stuff in, in a lot of games i want to see gears inspired stuff in halo games i love crossovers i'm desperate this year for expansions in forza horizon and halo infinite because simply put microsoft's catalog doesn't inspire me at all like for this year there's nothing first party from either studio that i'm really excited for because i don't think ragnarok's coming out on the playstation side and i'm not into starfield or redfall nothing's clicking for me yet maybe they will down the line but I'm not excited for Xbox's first party in 2022 at all. Like me could not care less about, about their stuff. I'm excited for Gotham Knights, right? Like that's what I want. Um, so what would get me on board or get me excited crossovers, you know, like I'm really excited for people to get playing Forza again. I think Halo came out and stole some of the thunder from Forza Horizon five. If the expansion includes missions where you're just like in Forza Horizon four, where you're, you know, racing, uh, a banshee and you're in a warthog and you're playing some there where or, or you're driving on hot wheels tracks through sea of thieves battles like i want that that's what i want i want doom slayer and halo infinite i want expansions where you see crossovers for the properties that don't damage the properties but they celebrate them that's what i want i think that's dope uh so that's that's what i'm thinking about is forza horizon 5 getting tracks where you're, you're maybe you're you know going through a battle between heaven and hell and doom uh, that would be really cool. Like there's a lot of cool things you could do with crossovers. And I think that's going to happen. Um, they might be looking at 
the player bases of uh, Forza and Halo and saying, all right, we need to make these things happen faster. Uh, but yeah, that's where I'm where I'm standing on that front. Uh, let's see. Let's do one more question. This one comes from Court Lalonde. He says, if you could be in charge of any studio, what game would you make? Court, I've thought about this a lot, man. I don't know what studio it would be at this point. Probably one of the WB ones, but uh, I want a Superman game in Unreal Engine 5. That's what I want. Superman game, Unreal Engine 5. Make it happen. Yeah, that's what I want. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Xbox Expansion Pass. I hope you enjoyed the different topics that we went through. Feel free to rate it over on the old iTunes, Spotify. Throw a like, a subscribe over on the YouTube side of things. Uh, next up, we've got an interview with the Berserk Studios devs uh, about the about Infernax. I hope you guys check that out. Check out the game as well. Uh, and you know what would be really cool is if you reach out to them on Twitter and just say that you heard the interview or you enjoyed it. That stuff means a lot to me when I see that. More than anything, that means a lot to me. All right, that's it for me, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care. We are very fortunate now to welcome to the show Mike Dukarm of Berserk Studios here to talk about their upcoming game, Infernax. Mike, how are you? Howdy, I'm doing fantastic. What about you? I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm excited to talk to you about Infernax. I have all of these questions uh, lined up. I've been playing the game for about a week now, really enjoying it. I lament your release date coming out in February because this game is not to be overlooked. Uh, tell me. What was your elevator pitch for Infernax, and what is it that you guys were going for with uh, with the launch? Well, Infernax is a it's basically a love letter of the two most hated games in history, which are Zelda Two and Castlevania Two. But we tried to make them I don't want to say better because they were a very good game. I just we wanted to make them more palatable, but with more gore as well. Palatable with more gore makes perfect sense. And I don't know that they're the most hated. It's just that they departed so much from their originals. But what you've created is certainly palatable, and man, is it gory. Uh, it, it's a blast. Now, before we dive too far into Infernax, Berserk Studios, you guys set out on this journey together. Can you tell me a little bit about Berserk Studios? Yeah, Berserk, we came up in 2008. Like, yeah, for almost 14 years ago from now. Uh, we were mo mostly making Flash games back then. We were just a small, small studio making Flash games, and we slowly evolved into more making uh, uh, mobile games. Like we did, like I want to say about twenty Flash games and five mobile games. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, we we always wanted to do console games, but we could never actually do it because we didn't have the means to do it, or we also didn't really have the credibility to do it because we were just a small studio. Mm -hmm. Around two thousand sixteen, we decided to make Just Shapes and Beats, which was our first console game. And now we hear with Infernax, that's a m much more berserk game than Shapes and Beats was. Shapes and Beats is a bullet hell based game. Is that correct? Yes, it's a musical about a hell yeah. Oh, okay, so you guys really did depart when you when you started working on Infernax. Now, one of the things that I found interesting in the lead up to our interview is that I wanted to offer a title You're like this is the lead designer, this is the sound designer, you know, to, to know your your role as it were within the studio. You guys don't have them. Is that right? Well, we don't really have them because we, we all do a lot of different things. And by that, I mean, like, personally, I take care of, like, maybe, like, 20, 
30 tasks and everybody has many more hats than they actually they're ju not just programmers they're like there's some guy that's a programmer but he's also our video editor there's our creative director that's also kind of a, like our like the level design guy stuff like that we never just do one task so i for myself i just do everything that's overseeing what's not production but there's not really a good title for that i guess at least does, not one that i would like <laughs> does that make for organizational chaos or do you find it's more conducive to productivity actually it's very organized chaos oh tell me a bit about that what's your day-to-day -day like then I mean, days basically just you do what you need to do at this point. There's no like uh, set agenda for me. I just I wake up and I see what's on my list. It might be just doing web design or it might be reaching out to people for marketing or for content like creators and stuff like that. And I can also do HR or finance. It's always by the need, basically. Interesting. Interesting. So you've got Infernax here. It's a love letter to to Zelda 2, to Castlevania 2, departures from their originals. But uh, in, in my playing it, I'm finding you've created a super tight, very responsive game that caught me off guard, if I'm being honest. The art style uh, is certainly retro for sure. But, I mean, you guys are doing things with color palettes and, and with lighting that I thought was uh, really, really fascinating. Tell me a little bit about that art style. Well, at first it was... It was made in Flash. The game was made 10 years ago in Flash. At first, we were supposed to just make it a two-week project, and it ended up just taking a lot longer because we never could ship it. But it became it, it became what it is now, just doing 2D entire motion of getting a Flash game onto a PC game than a console game. So we, we didn't reuse really any pixel uh, software at first. We we're just doing it all in vector. And it was hell, but I mean, it happened. It worked. That was 10 years ago? Yeah. 10 years ago, last December was when we first started. Yeah. Is it 11 years now? I forget. Like the pandemic has made me very weird with dates now. I don't know anything. Well, development started, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Yep. Were you always intending for it to arrive onto a console space at some point then? No, at first when we first did it as a flash game, we just it was just gonna be that it was gonna be a short flash game like we used to do and we were gonna push it out and work on something else. But we because of the nature of the game that was like very hard, very I don't want to say violent, but very bloody game. Basically, it was there were there were not tones that they would resonate with flash people. Mm -hmm. Like they, they would resonate for flash players, but not with people that fun flash games. So we could never get it off the ground there. So we just shelved it for a couple of years and then maybe like five years later, we decided to pick it back up and we started working on it as a more like a PC port. So we decided to take the game, the game from Flash, put it, port it to Unity to put on PC. It was going to be it. And then we realized there was a lot more to it than just doing that because the game was five years old from there uh, at that point. So we wanted to like modernize it a bit because it was a bit getting dated and then it became just too big. So we just decide to make a whole console game out of it for five years. So you would say that you guys have been working on this iteration for about five years now at this point? Uh, yeah, off and on for the past five years. Yeah, we were finishing on Shapes and Beasts back then, and then we were working on a mobile game also at the same time. So we just put it in the back burner for a bit and then started working on it since 2018 or something. Interesting. Yeah, four years. 
Okay, all right. And I'm thinking about this idea of like taking a Flash game, getting it over to consoles. And and for any listener, uh, Infernax is coming to Steam, Switch, PS4, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, uh, and it's also going to be in Game Pass day and date February 14th. So you guys are launching on a lot of platforms. Does that add stress to your plate, or are you excited by that, or both? It's a bit of both, to be honest. Like we've never done a wide release at launch before. But we were also very confident about it because our our technical wizard, that's Oliver, he's, he's the one that did our ports for Shapes and Beats, which were insanely hard to do because online multiplayer, we were supporting everything that we could. And Infralax is a lot simpler than that. But we, since we had that expertise, Oliver just did it all in like a goddamn machine. When when he's when you're saying he's doing it all, what does that 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 talks about the the porting aspect of it. Yeah, the, the porting aspect of it. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I want to talk about specific elements of Infernax. I of you you launch as a player. Uh, Alcador is is the name of the fame knight, though you can change your name. Which Do amusingly, anything you want. I changed it to Luke, and so now I'm Duke Luke in in a bunch of the cutscenes, and I thought that was the funniest, best thing. Uh, ever. <laughs> that rhymes. It sure does. It sure does. It made me chuckle quite a few times. But I'm going through uh, 2D side scroller with this this awesome mace that I'm I'm whipping around and hitting all types of monsters and ghosts and and what I can amount to be demons and skeletons. And the art design stands out. You've got some truly grotesque bosses and mini bosses throughout this. Uh, what was the the goal with those? It was like since the point of the game was to make a game that could not have launched back like when the the game were inspired from like you could not launch this game in the 82 when zelda 2 and kiss of Inu 2 came out because it was like too gory for it that was the goal so we that was the joke behind it so we figured out the best way to make people think that that game is like that banned game that could never come out was to make the the bosses as gross as possible like to make like players feel uneasy just looking at them like oh this is awesome there's a big weird poultry looking monster that's veiny and stuff mm-hmm. well you had eyeballs with teeth around them the first boss well one of the first bosses you slay you've got intestines and gore just gobbing all over you uh and my favorite is when you beat a boss and you've got all their blood and guts dripping off of you in pixelated form he raises his hand in victory and i just find that to be the best uh the best moment with that yeah that's part of the situational humor humor of the game that it's so over the top and it's so serious that it it feels silly at some point. Like you're just with your mace up in the air covered in blood and there's people dead around you. Oh yeah. And it and it happens a lot, listeners. It happens a whole lot. Uh, at various points you might come across bandits stop trying to attack people or monsters attack uh, citizens. You can save them. It's really cool. You also added in different elements of choice, I noticed. Like I would come upon... Uh, certain characters and I could choose to either slay them or spare them uh, for a bribe and a few other situations there. You added a a choice system to a retro inspired game. That's fun. How'd you come up with that idea? It, actually, it was a happy accident. We When we were making the first demo for PAX West 2018, we were looking for a wow moment for the demo because the demo was just like the first 10 minutes of the game was kind of slow and we wanted something to surprise a player so simon one of the uh, directors on the game like he's the director on he's the president of the company he's the, also a coder you see what i mean by we have too many titles 
but yeah like he decided like well this this could be fun like just you have to you can choose between one and the other and you get like a small reward from it and then we just it was super simple at first and then we sent it to pax when we when we were showing it at pax like it resonated with so many players they found it super fun and they just started just imagining what it could be that the entire game changes around those decisions because again the game is it's supposed to feel like the imagination of a kid playing a game thinking oh well this game could have that in there and he just so that's what we did with that part it just people just decide to make up their own ideas about it and we just took those ideas and make it real that's really i think i just rambled a lot there rambling a lot is what this show is about my friend and Good. they much prefer when you ramble to me i'll tell you that i will tell you that and they don't they do not spare my feelings in the comment section it's always amusing <laughs> it's like ooh, okay sorry guys so as I'm going through uh, Infernax right now, I'm, I'm in the Necropolis. It's kicking my tail. You've got some really awesome monsters, as I've mentioned. You've also got some platforming challenges and I dare say puzzle elements to the game. Mm -hmm. uh, a key system involved. What was the design philosophy here? Well, we just, again, it's very inspired by Zelda too. Like those dungeons are like that. You, were, you would just travel through the dungeons, get a key, move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's how like we try to make it like... A lot different from the overworld because the overworld is less about platforming but more about exploration and then mm -hmm. you have platforming and puzzles that are in castles that are supposed to be the skill checks mm -hmm. like if you are you high enough level do you have the right equipment for it or are you just good enough so we just learn through those that castles and stuff interesting and those skill checks are very much that and i i have to note much to my, my 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 pleasure here, you included a casual mode, which is for me normal. This that's what I was choosing. You've also got like a standard hardcore back in the day mode. Tell me about the the approach here in giving me a Luke friendly mode with casual <laughs> and one that's uh for the hardest of hardcore. Well, first you gotta remember that games back then didn't have those kind of choices. They were ba barely not even human friendly, much less like casual friendly mm -hmm. so even though we were very inspired by those games we didn't want to make it just for those people because it's not a good way to make a business i guess so we added that uh, system of casual mode that basically just instead of making the game easier for you it just makes it more uh, i don't want to say palatable because i said that again but it's just it's more forgiving that you have more tries and then you have more uh, instead of having to learn a long string of events, you can just like split it in two and just learn those parts over and over again. Just do, you know, do it in bite parts instead of just doing one go. Interesting. Okay. I'm liking that. When you, through the course of development, uh, deciding on the, these casual modes and, and hardcore modes, you also had to develop a leveling system uh, for experience points and then also... Mm -hmm kind of a purchasing system with money where you can buy different armors and spells and such. Um, how do you guys go about balancing those two kind of elements of progression for the player? Oh, it's by, I don't know. How could I say that too? Well, words are hard today. Uh, well, it's, it's very, it, it's the base of the game. That's how it was designed from the ground up. We didn't really, think about it much it was just like you have a leveling system and you have gold and then you we just balance the uh, monsters afterwards like oh is this too hard when you were at that point because we we kind of have like this mindset of at this castle you should be about this level but if you're good you can be just a bit like under on the level 
but you can actually do it because you're better. So we wanted to have that, those extra XP and extra gold things just more like be a, a way to help you through it instead of just being a hard cap. All right. I'm, I'm digging that one. One I of think the that other, made sense. It did make sense. It was yes. good. And I, I, one of the things I like about the way you guys set up quest lines, uh, different, different strength levels and like depending on how much XP you have can obviously make things easier or more difficult. But in designing the quest, one of the, you, you solve problems. That's how you guys say it, you know, problem solved. Uh, that's a little bit of in humor there, yeah? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, most of the serious part is mostly on the story side. We did want to have like those tonal shift in when you're trying to break the game or when you just have a very uh, out of context situation happening, but we didn't run up to uh, the humor like on the forefront. So tell me this then, Mike, <laughs> what is it about the game that you guys are most proud of at this point? I, uh, other than just getting it out there after 10 years, that what you're saying? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, man. I mean, uh, well, we're super proud of just the end. Having managed to just do the entire game that would uh, that anybody could enjoy, like it's not just the hardcore gamers, it's not just the casual players. A guy, well, I don't want to say you can enjoy this with your kids because it's 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 a major game. It's very hard rated, but we wanted to make sure that every uh, level of uh, core gamers could actually enjoy the game, and I think we succeeded at that. All right, so then I'll ask you another dreaded question. Mm -hmm. uh, are you happy with the game at this point? Insanely happy about it. I was just looking at old uh, screenshot we had from back in the days, and you can actually see the progression of what we did in 10 years without actually changing. Uh, we changed so much, but it looks like we changed almost nothing, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because the, the graphics are kind of the same, but the entire like system in the back, and it's so much more involved than we initially thought it was going to be. So yeah, we're super happy about it. Awesome. And I'll tell you what, listeners, I've been playing it for quite a few days at this point. I absolutely love it. Uh, it has become one of my favorite games of the year thus far, a few months in. It's just, it's it's a blast. It's a, it's a really good time. And I encourage you guys to check it out on Game Pass, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Switch, and Steam. Uh, Mike Ducarm, thank you for joining me. Uh, any closing thoughts? Would you like to let people know where they can find you or... Uh, Anything else for us? Uh, well, they can learn more about the game on uh, Twitter. We have a Twitter account at Infernax, which is the name of the game. Also, Berserk Studio, which is the name of the studio with a Z. And they can find out more about me at Mike Ducarm Suck on Twitter, which is suck without the S at the end. Well, there we go. All right. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me.